Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Thursday morning. I'm sorry, it's Wednesday morning. It's early in the week, but since it's summer schedule, uh, I want to do the Parsha. It's a funny, I'll tell you why in a second. First of all, this is being sponsored by the Shochman, Eitan and Ariel Shochman. Nice stuff, they said, don't leave me in lurch, I guess. Um, and they just made a nice bar mitzvah and all the rest of it. And so, um, anyway, we're grateful to them, as they say. And to all the sponsors, which enable us to keep this up. Um, before I do anything else, I want to say that I just put together and be sending out online uh, my next uh, lecture series. Uh, I always do three a year. One of them is during the three weeks. The three weeks is around the corner. And I hope to be doing one this time, six lectures on uh, Lithuanians and Jews and uh, glory and horror and... Uh, a revisionist memory, uh, be focusing on the history of the Jews of Lithuania. You can't do that in six lectures, but especially in the context of the Holocaust, because the Jews had a glorious period, and then the Litvak killed them all in the 1940s, many know. And then ever since then, there's all struggle over it, and that story that keeps popping up in the news. Anyway, I think it's very interesting. I have a few of them sponsored. I need one or two more. If anybody is nice enough out there, will contact me uh, to enable me to uh, put this series together. I have high hopes for it. Uh, and if you do, then I thank you in advance. Now, without any further ado, let me tell you why I'm doing the Parsha podcast right now. Uh, I did the Shnaimikar Echotar because as soon as I heard, I'm in America, so it's a double Parsha, right? In Israel, I think it's uh, separate. But America, it's a Chukas Bullock. Uh, and that's Big East. So I said I'm going to better knock off the Shnai Mikrech of Targum early in the week. And I was just finished now, uh, the last part of Babalak. And a Pusik jumped at me. And I said, you know, I know from college, the way you write or talk, if something jumps at you, then that's, then that's the uh, topic of your essay. That's the proper way to do it. It's all the way at the end. And uh, maybe you noticed it, maybe you didn't notice it. But I find it interesting. And I'm talking about after uh, the whole story of Bilaam, you come to the story of Vayachal, Yisrael lives no self, but no small. We all know that the Jewish people messed out around with the Moabite girls and Midianite girls, which took down 24,000 people. Hamesim ba Magefa Arba Vesim Right? 24,000 people got killed as a result of this. And so there was a sudden breakdown. I'm sure I must have spoken about this in the past. Here's poor Moshe Rabbeinu. He had 40 years of leading his people in the desert. This, you know, uh, the story today in Chukas Bog takes place after the 38-year gap. The um, story of, I'm sure you noticed, the story of the Chumash is Shemos and Vayikra. And in Bamidbar, up to Parshish Chukas is, is a chronologically contiguous. So you start with the Yitzhiz uh, Mitzrayim, uh, which of course is Pesach time, and then of course you get the Shavuos, 
And then by the time you're finished, you know, you get to your Yom Kippur when they get past the Golden Calf episode. And then the Meraglim is the is the next year a Tisha B'Av, right? So that's what they say, right? Tisha B'Av, the Meraglim. So that's a year and a half after they left Egypt, approximately. A little less. And uh, that's one continuous story. That takes us up to Parsha Shlach. And then they have Korach, which, you know, the Mepharshim have always debated when exactly Korach happened. You can look at Nachshoni, these places. But the Parsha Shad is the Korach takes place after the Maglam. So, for argument's sake, let's assume that Korach takes place in the month of El or Tishrei. That's a year and a half after they left Egypt. So it's not a long time. It's 18 months. The, the, which takes over the whole book of Shmos and Bayikram and Hephabamidbar. And then you get to Chukas, and you start with the Paraduma. But as soon as you finish that, it's, 40, it's 38 years later. Um, Miriam dies, Aaron dies, it's in the 40th year. And the episode, of, and they move to Israel, I mean, on their way, and uh, you end up with the episode of Bilam and Balak, which is not long before Moshe Rabbeinu dies. And so that means that the older generation who messed around with the Meraglim is mostly dead, if not entirely. And so who's left to be Mizana with the Benos Moav? It's the younger generation. So these guys grew up 40 years in the desert, surrounded by the Ananiya covered, never saw TV, never heard the word internet. But it doesn't matter, as I always say, because as soon as they checked out, as soon as they met with the Benos Moav and Benos Midian, that's the end of it. Vayachel ha'am, Liznus Mom. The people became Vayachel, Chulin, you know. In other words, they became profaned. Because boys and girls, that can happen. It's called normal chemistry. You know what I'm saying? Normal chemistry. And so the result was that um, he had a terrible situation on his hands. And Moshe didn't know exactly what to do. That's what it seems. Uh, maybe I spoke about that last year or not. The Chazal say that's the reason. Moshe is buried across me from uh, the church of uh, Balpur, Mulbeis Balpur. And God has to intervene. Now, here's the thing that just jumped at me, because I just did this in the Shnai Mikra. And what happens? It says, They started messing around with the Moabite girls. Liznos is Benos Moab. I want to be very clear about it. It's pretty uh, direct. And he started worshiping the uh, the god of uh, of Baal They get him hooked on Baal Interesting word. To meet him is to be attached to hooked. Uh, god blew up. So then, what happens? Vayemr is interesting. It's not Vayidavir. It says Kaches Kol Take all the leaders of the people. some and hang them, or even impale them. To tell you the truth, hoka lahokia in Hebrew is one of those obscure words, and you're never 100% sure what it means. Um, there are normative translations, but normative doesn't mean anything over here. I'll explain why in a second. So it could mean to hang them, it could mean to impale them, sometimes used like that. And that's what they seem to have done to uh, the... Uh, uh, the grandchildren of Saul, remember the story with the Gibeonites, Givonim, and Saul at the end of Shmuel Beis. And it calls him and push him off a cliff. So, again, listen closely. Kachas Koreshiam, take all the leaders of the people, all the tribes, the Sanhedrin guys, the Nisim, some and impale them, let's say, or hang them, in, in, in the sun. 
nose openly. And that will calm me down. Now, what does that mean? If you take it literally, it's like this. Arrest the leaders. Moshe, you go and arrest the leaders and kill them. Whoa. First of all, no trial. But God, this is God talking, so it's a different story. You know, no, you don't need a trial. If Hashem says, kill the leaders of people, obviously, by definition, they're guilty, they're guilty right? If Hashem says they do it, right? When you have a regular trial, it's only to find out the truth. Here, God's telling Moshe, kill him. Number one. Number two, really? So the 70 leaders of Sanhedrin and the Nassim, you understand what's going on? All the people that are, um, you know, the, the big shots, uh, kill them. And not only that, let's say it means impale them. Really? So you take 100, 200 people, I don't know how many, and you throw them up in the air and catch them on a spear, they go, like a shish kebab. Or if you prefer, push them all off a cliff. Or if you prefer, take, you know, 100, 200 uh, uh, poles and string them up. Mind you, this is not the usual hanging you find in the Chumash. In the Jewish law, there's no hanging. In the Jewish law, you execute somebody. I'm talking when it's done judicially. And then after a person is executed with the Arba Mises Bezdem, then you hang their body up for a while. And as you know, it's just, you know, take it down by the sunset. You know, you know that. Baltolin. Um, here, you have a very rare case, if that's what it means, which is strangle them to death, hang them. Uh, and um, I just looked around, I was just, just before I started talking now, I opened up a couple of books next to me, and I have a lot of time. And I see that the Rajbam indeed says, you know, uh, hang, kill him by hanging. I think that's the only case I can think of. And then, of course, the question becomes like this, what kind of hanging? There's a whole history of hanging. Uh, there's a science to it. And I don't know that much about it, but I know more than many. And it's always what you call the British, British type hanging and the Austrian type hanging. The British hanging is what they do in America. You, you take a guy, you put, put the rope around his neck, you have a, a hole in the bottom, you push him down the hole. No, it falls off, you know, like you see in the movies, you know, they open the bottom and the body falls down. Or let's say he's in, uh, on high up somewhere and just push him off. And when he falls, the weight of the body falling breaks the neck, or it's supposed to. And therefore it should be a quick death. That's the British system of hanging. You push him off the thing and then he hangs. Now, I'll tell you a different shita, the Austrian shita. You, you, you put a rope around his neck, and then you pull him up from the ground. And you leave him there, and he chokes horribly to death. Right? Swinging and screaming. Oh, well, I can't scream, but you know, it's, uh, it's pretty bad. So the British one is the more merciful one. The Austrian one is the less merciful one. And here it says, Hokash, I'm like, you Moshe Rabbeinu, go and hang these guys. Um, wow. Now, this is a problem for the Chazal. And it has to do also with the whole Parsha here, where Pinchas gets involved. At the beginning of next week's Parsha. Uh, what we're dealing over here is what we call extrajudicial extra killing. It's not done in the due process, regular way of basins. Which, of course, is what Pinchas did. As we all know, he's the archetype. He went ahead Kanoim Pogimbo, and he killed uh, Zimri ben Solo and the, and the girl. Now, I got no problem with that, but the Chazal do. In my understanding, and I can only just share with you the way I understand it, so the Chazal never felt comfortable with the story of Pinchas, because 
the rabbis in the Talmud are, are, are judges. That's who they are. If you ever want to learn a Gemara correctly, you have to realize Abai and Rav and Rav and Shmuel and all these people, Reb Zera, they're Dayanim. And whenever they discuss a case in Baba Kamba, Siyavas, or any of those that get in Kedushan, it's from the point of view of the judge, Shnai Mochs and Batalos. Because as far as the judge knows, two guys walked in holding a towel. So what do we do? It's not from the point of view of the defendant or the prosecutor or, or the litigants. The Gemara is written from the point of view of the judges. Um, all of our chazakas and robes, it's from the point of view of the judges. And judges don't like extrajudicial stuff. There's a way to do it, and the Torah sets up all these rules and regulations. And as you know, by the time this is all elaborated, and explained in the in the Torah Shalapah, uh, we have a pretty high bar of ju- of, of judicial pro- uh, what do you call it? due process. As everybody knows, you can't convict somebody. It's Adam, has Asra, it's Bishabakir, it's all kind of stuff like that. Uh, and you have the tradition Rabbi Kiva says a bloody bed if they kill too many people, even though there are other opinions. And here you have a story, as we all know, where Pincha stepped forward and killed Zerim ben Solo, and the girl, and uh, immediately Hashem says, leave them alone. It's, it's pretty clear that they wanted to kill uh, Pinchas, which is why it has to say, beginning of next week's Parsha, uh, Pinchas ben Olozer ben Akron, Heishe v'schamas el ben Yisrael v'lochelisa ben Yisrael v'schamasi, v'schamasi, shalom. Which the plain shot, plain, plain, plain shot, if such a thing as possible, is leave the guy the heck alone. The relatives of the tribe of Shimon elders wanted to punish him, wanted to kill him. And God is saying, no, he did you a favor. And, and he's under my protection, as it were. Anybody messing with Pinchas is going to regret it. And that's why Pinchas was able to operate and not have to worry about Goel Hadam's, you know, I'm not talking halachically, I mean, you know, revenge from the relatives and all that kind of stuff. Um, he had a special divine protection. So it's a story of, as we say, Kanoim Pogambo. Which is what this halach of Aim came. It's a funny din. It's not a din exactly. It is and it isn't. And it's weird because the essence of judicial process is there's supposed to be no exception to that. It can't be a judge says, I don't like the way you look, therefore I'll kill you. But somebody else will go by the evidence. It's got to be everybody go by the evidence. And yet, in spite of what I just said, there's a din called Kanaim Pogabo. We have such things. And uh, throughout Jewish history, by the way, with Moser, you know, Moserim. Uh, they always used this um, Pinchas thing. They used to bump them off without judicial process. Because usually it was not even possible to make judicial process in the ghettos and places of the Jewish communities of old. Sometimes it was, but usually not. I'm just thinking that famous uh, riff who says that uh, <laughs> there was a Moser in uh, Lucina and they stoned him to death in the synagogue on Yom, at the command of the basin. They stoned him to death, I mean, with stones. Uh, in Shoal, uh, on Yom Kippur, before Ne'ilo, something like that. <laughs> right? uh, but Lucina was a town where it was all Jews, and it was surrounded like a castle, and so the Jews could do whatever they want over there. But 99.9% of the time, it wasn't like that. So you have this interesting situation where God says to Moses, no trial, just kill these guys. That'll calm me down. Now, as I said before, 
Um, and Moshe does not do that. Moshe does not do that. And the next pasuk by Yemer Moshe will show to Israel. Here Guish Anachov Nitzbanim Balpar. Moshe says to the judges, "You killed the perpetrators," which is not what God said. Now, because you have this funny thing that I just said, so the Mefarshim Rashi and every. I'm sorry, Rashi and everybody immediately says, no, 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 Kat, you're saying it wrong. Kachas Rashi Um is to be translated, take the leaders of the people, set up drumhead court-martials, immediately establish uh, basins, and find the perpetrators, the guys who were Mizana with the girls, and Hoka Sam Negoshosh. And those guys who did the sin should be hanged or impaled at the command of the Rashi Um Neged Hashemish. So that's a different thing altogether. It's not that you arrest the leaders and kill them. It's that you do, uh, um, what should I say, assemble the leaders immediately, uh, arrest the perpetrators, those the guys who are messing around with the girls, and worshiping Valpar, and hang them. It's a completely different story. Now, uh, that's already judicial. And that would fit with the next Pesach. Uh, the only thing is, uh, if I, I looked it up, you know. Now, it bothered me. Nobody was saying to push up shop. Then I found that's not true. There are. Uh, it, it's uh, Rabbi Huda in the Medish Tankoma. And in Zohar, actually. The sheet of Rabbi Huda, you know, they go into the Tana. It is. No, it means push up shot. Arrest the leaders and kill them. Matter of fact, I just opened up to get a, a survey. I just opened in front of me the my little man, Lois, over here, because he always collects the opinions. And he did exactly what I wanted him to do. Uh, he says that there's three opinions. Kaches Roshayom, Hema Sanhedrin, Umaneo Samla Dayanim, Sheyaduna Dinin Afashis. And appoint them to set up immediate courts and, and judge everybody. Viaduna Misha Chayav Misa, Kedeshiyosh of Haranaf Shem Yisrael. And then, second opinion, Vieshomrim, Nokash Yosim is Kum Negel Hashemesh. That the, why does it say this funny language, hang him in front of the sun? Because the sun shone through the clouds on the people that were perpetrators. That's Rashi mentioned that also. It's a chazal. It's like a miracle. Uh, which, by the way, uh, is not simple either, because that's extrajudicial. Let me put it this way. According to the Gemara, there's no such thing that if a person is being judged, especially for Chaim Misa case, uh, that we go by the fact that the clouds open up and the sun sends down a, a, a beam and, 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 you know, specifies this person. Get it? If I'm a Dayan, and we have a basin, especially Din and the Fushes, so you have a bunch of Dayanim, and you're standing there, and the prosecutor says, if I'm right, and this guy committed a terrible sin, although we don't have Enim Nasra, but you'll see, the sun will shine through the clouds, because they were still surrounded by clouds. They say that Aaron died and the clouds left, but then Moshe Sukhos brought him back, if you want to go that route. So the clouds will open up on Plony and will shine down on him. So everywhere else will be cloudy, but on Plony will be uh, sunlight. And that will prove that he's guilty. That ain't Baba Kama, that ain't Sanhedrin, you know? There's no din like that. But that's what he's saying to do over here. So that's also an extrajudicial kind of a business. And Vyeshma Farshim, that Kach Rashi'am, Sheikach Mamashes Rashi'am, Sharo Ketzad Ovri Mavera Shosnus, Mavurzar, so that's the push of shot. It's like Stalin over here, you know. Arrest all the leaders and shoot them. Because they didn't, um, they're responsible 
for the sins of the people who are their underlings. If you're the head of a tribe, you should make sure that nobody in your tribe uh, goes around and messes with all these shiksas. If you're the head of a, a sorry Allah, I'm sorry, mayos, whatever, you're responsible that people in your uh, group don't go and uh, worship Alpar. If you didn't do it, you get killed. In which case, it's very interesting. This is a, uh, a strong case of, uh, what's the right word? You know, the leader takes the blame. Collective responsibility, the leader takes the blame. And Moshe didn't do, if you go like that, then it's very fascinating to me that Moshe does not do what God said. Because again, according to Rabbi Yehuda, according to this approach, which is the Pashup shot, God says, take the Kachis Rashi Am, the Hoko Sum. And instead, Moshe went to the Shof to Yisrael. And he said, here go Isha Nashanitzbal And now, what's interesting is in this confusion, let's go with the first one. What I said before, let's go with Pashup shot. Which is, go arrest everybody. Well, one of the people that's supposed to be arrested is Zimri ben Silla because he obviously was a Rosh Am. Turns out that he wasn't only one of the Rosh Am because he was the Nazi of Shimon, but he's also one of the guys doing the perpetrating, right? So in other words, Zimri ben Silla said like this, the heck with this, you're not going to kill me. Right? You're not going to kill me. And not only that, but in order to show his chutzpah, he actually took a girl to do it right in front of Moshe. So you have what you call a breakdown of the system. Let me put it this way. If we go with this shot, it just caught my attention this year. And this will be some, if you choose to, you can discuss it this shot. Uh, what was Moshe actually supposed to do, physically? Is this guy Moses supposed to go around and make a list of all the leaders of the people, and to go to each and every one, and I'll go, I'll go easy way. Right? I'll go easy way. Um, let's say it's a list of 500 people. I don't know. Let's say it's a list of 100 people. We go to each guy, pick them up and throw them off a cliff. Let's say it's that, you know. Kavu Chomer's double hard. He said, what, Moshe should go and set up 100 uh, gallows, you know, uh, and then string the guy up? Or, like, who, who is Moshe supposed to do this with? And if you want to be really technical, the language is kach, which is a Lashon Yachid. It's a, it's a tzibu to a Yachid. That's a singular verb. Now, you could come back at me and say, organize it. So Moshe was supposed to organize a posse. So I guess Moshe would say something like, uh, and come with me and hang everybody. All the really? And by the way, at the golden calf, they didn't do that. They said, "Go kill the killer, the people, you know, who 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 worship the golden calf." Here's kachas rosheyab. Now, I do understand the idea of collective responsibility. I understand that, and you can say, you know, the captain is responsible for the ship, and that's just a very interesting shot, if that's the case. Um, but it doesn't seem that this happened. So let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. Uh, Pinchas killed Zimbin Solo. And then the plague stopped. Uh, so they never actually carried out God's command of go and arrest everybody and, 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 and kill them. Right? Meaning the perpetrators. Unless you tell me that the 24,000 killed were the Rosh Hashanah, which is a big number. Sounds like it was the perpetrators rather than the Rosh Hashanah. Although you have three million people, very vase. Well, 
600,000 adults, you know, maybe, 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 if that's the case, it's fascinating, because the entire leadership class was exterminated in a megafo. Um Moshe didn't do it. In other words, the story then, it's very interesting, the story becomes that they are encamped near Midian, or Moab, and then these girls show up. Next thing you know, the guys and the girls are all over the place. And next thing God says to Moshe, you want me to not send a plague that'll kill thousands of people? Arrest the leaders of Klai Yisrael and hang them. And Moshe does not do that. How do we interpret it? And uh, because he doesn't do it, the whole thing gets Mamash out of hand with Zimri ben Solo. And so a plague breaks out because God said, arrest and kill the leaders and that will that will calm me down. And since Moshe didn't do that, nothing calmed him down. And the way we express the meaning of the phrase, the anthropomorphic phrase, that is, I'm not calmed down, I'm still angry, is a plague breaks out and tells the people are dying. And um, so in other words, Moshe could have um, stopped the plague by immediately arresting and killing the Rosh Hashem. And, and he didn't do that. And it was left to Pinchas to do it. But Pinchas didn't do it either. Thousands of people start dying, but when Pinchas killed Zimri ben Salub, uh, that worked. No, Hashem is a softy. Instead of killing so many people, more than killed, maybe maybe maybe, maybe the 24,000 ones are killed, or 24,000 were the, the perpetrators. I'm not sure. Either way, Pinchas stopped the Harun of Hashem. So Moshe did not, and Pinchas said. So basically, if Pinchas would have killed Zimbin Solo 10 minutes earlier, instead of 24,000 dying, he'd have 20,000 dying, or 14,000 dying, something like that. Which is the reason why, he says at the beginning of next week, Parsha, Pinchas, Heishi was Hamosim al Yisrael, Velochi Lisis Meiz Bekinosib. I says, I was just getting started. 24,000 was just the beginning. I was going to kill a lot more people. But because of Pinchas, I calmed it down. So you end up with a very unusual incident in the Chumash, where um, Hashem says, do something, Moshe doesn't exactly do it. Uh, many, many die as a result of that. This leaves you with the impression that this is a, you know, a, a bad story for Moshe. And that is why the Chazal say uh, that when shortly thereafter he dies, because I forget, I once worked this out, but this is almost like two, three months before the death of Moshe. Maybe less. Really. This is long, shortly before Moshe is going to die. Uh, when, 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 uh, when this happens, so, uh, how should I put it? Mo uh, one second. Moshe's leadership has been like uh, tainted, you know, calling the question. And when he dies shortly afterwards, Hashem says, I'm going to bury him somewhere. I'm going to bury him base poor. And uh, no, it's across the street, across the road, across the valley, from the Balpur uh, church. And that's supposed to mean that, uh, you know, don't forget that uh, when Hashem tells you to do something, you got to do it. And, uh, you know, drop all uh, considerations. And that's not who Moshe was, right? There's more than one time in the Chumash where Hashem said, do something, Moshe did it differently. You know? And usually it was okay. Uh, but here it turned out not to be okay. And uh, 
that comes very interesting. The again, again, it's the Vayuah Mason by Magefar by Asmoth. The, the, it doesn't say who the 24,000 are. If the 24,000, you see, I'm just trying to show you, you have to follow through the implications of each theory. If you go like Mondomaru says, they meant to kill the leaves of the people, which is what I'm focused on today. And the, then the 24,000 could be the leaders of the people. So it could be that uh, in the aftermath it is, an entire class of elite was gone. You see? An entire elite was gone. And uh, uh, and it wouldn't be the perpetrators then, which is interesting. And in the last month of Moshe's life, or last two months, you got you got to recruit new Nazis and new Rosh Avos and you know, sorry, Alafim, Sarmeis, Sarchamishim, and all that business uh, because the others it was a disaster. Let's put it this way: it was a disaster, and we're left with this funny business. And uh, now you can understand. Why God says, I'm angry at Midian, and in two parshas from now, he says, you have a, a war of revenge, right? Against Midian. The whole thing messed up, you know, it turned out a mess up. It's not a Midianite fort, but the Midianites triggered something that was a leadership crisis in, in, in the Claudius role. Anyway, I think there's an aspect that we usually don't explore that much, and my attention was drawn to it. Again, the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda is in, is in the uh, Tanchuma. In the back of my mind, I'm trying to figure out why would Rabbi Huda have such an opinion? What is there in the career of Rabbi Huda would leave to some uh, shot like that? But I can't. Rabbi Huda's the you know the Rosh Hashanah Rabbi Huda's the one who said the nice things about the Romans. Eh, so I can't 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 put anything together with that. Maybe you can. Uh, but anyway, I thought that this was an interesting shot in the uh, Chumash. There's a lot more with the speech of Bilam and all the rest of it. I'll just leave you with this one last little note that I mentioned in my shul thing yesterday. And that is, uh, this is tangential. And that is, we have the famous oracle of Bilam, in which he says all this fancy poetry. Right? Matobal Yaakov, and, uh, you know, Tzim Biyad Kitim Inu Asher in the navel. Very obscure Hebrew. Um, it's fascinating to me because Bilam never said those words. Bilam didn't speak Hebrew. So Bilm, if he spoke in oracular fashion, in a prophetic fashion, he spoke what, Aramaic or whatever language he spoke. Hashem translated into Hebrew. So the high and fancy schmancy poetry that we find in Bilam, including the Messianic prophecies, as the Ramam says, you want to believe the Mashiach is from the Chumash. Darach kocha miyakav akom sheb misrol amachas pasimah, whatever it says over there. These are the speeches of Bilam. Not exactly. They're Hashem's translating into Hebrew speeches of, of uh, Bilam. That to me is fascinating. If, if God is the translator from another language of uh, poetry, which is a, a very specific way of, of using language, I- incredibly vivid, you know, uh, that's, kinda, that's, that's just interesting. Because, you know, what principles of translation does God use? You know, all that kind of thing. But uh, we have these uh, uh, fascinating uh, but obscure references throughout the speeches of Bilaam. And uh, listen, for all I know, maybe Bilaam Taka pronounced a curse. And Hashem, when he's translating Hebrew, made it a bracha. Fair face. I mean, that's, that's a fruitful area of speculation as well. But anyway, I just wanted to share this idea that caught my attention at the end of 
Parshas Balk. With that, I wish you a good weekend and a good Shabbos. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.